Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And we've got a great program for you today. I'm talking with somebody special. You, you know, dear listeners, that we made an announcement not too long ago that we're not going to do many guest episodes anymore. Ross and I are committed to being in the trenches just for you, just he and I. Butch and Sundance, the Frisco Kid and Sancho Panza doing our thing. And so when we do have a guest episode like today, we want you to know that it's pretty special. It's pretty unique. And I really wanted to talk to our guest today. His name is Jonathan Carswell. He is the CEO of 10 of those, which you can visit at 10 of which is to put it lightly, a bookstore and a resource to help you with bookstores and to resource your church. That's what we're going to talk about today is resourcing your church. So let's welcome Jonathan to the podcast. How are you, brother? Yeah, I'm all right. Wow. What an introduction. And uh, to be a guest when you don't have guests is... Yeah. Thank you. I, I'm pleased. I, I'm sad Ross isn't here, but at least we've got a British accent to uh, work with still. So I don't know yeah. whether people will understand me more or less than Ross, but here he goes. Yeah. No, I think he's probably been training wheels maybe for you. Okay. So people are, are used to it by now. Yeah, accent, but you're not in the UK right now. Are you, do you live no. in the States? I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah. So we live in Chicago and okay. we've been here nearly five years. So yeah, for from England originally, and then just about learning the language now. Five years in, I think I've, I've almost got it. So <laughs> you're learning the non-king speech, right? Okay. Absolutely. We're, um, I, I like to tell people I'm bilingual. And then when they ask how many languages we speak, I say, well, English and a little bit of American and almost that. So. <laughs> well, I have to know, I mean, what's unique? I mean, other than our unrefined accents all over the country, yeah. What are some figures of speech or what is a, the language that's different? Yeah, I mean, this is mainly things that I bring across. So things that I'll say, say to a staff member, I'm, I'm sorry if that's teaching grandma to suck eggs. They look at me as if to say, are you speaking in tongues or is that just a, a phrase you use? So teaching a grandmother to suck eggs is like teaching somebody who already knows exactly what you're telling them. You, you're telling them something really basic. <laughs> because grandma like, knows uh, how to suck eggs? What's... No, I don't know. I don't, I don't know think that clears it up. I'm a little still confused about it. <laughs> or, um, yeah, I'll say, uh, oh, yeah, we'll do that in a fortnight. And that's not a computer game that kids play. That's just a couple of weeks away. So um, just things like that, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> I've got a colleague who sits next to me and he, he's now bilingual as well. So he, he interprets what I'm sharing with people. He's like, oh, he means two weeks or he means, you know. <laughs> so he's an interpreter. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's okay to speak in tongues if you have an interpreter there. So that's good. That's right. Yeah. You know, so I was in New Zealand recently and somebody there asked me, if I notice a difference between the Australian accent and the New Zealand accent or the Kiwi accent. Right. Yeah. And then Ross asked me that recently on, on the podcast. And the difference that I noticed was that the Kiwi accent, they tend to go up at the end of their right. sentences. There's like a, a lilt. Have you noticed? So if you had to, I know there's, region by region, you know, Southern accents different than New York and Boston, et cetera. But what is it about the American accent? If you had to describe it 
Yeah, that is hard. Like I, ha- I can't place people geographically unless they're from like the deep south. But that's you can okay. spot them for other reasons as well. But um, <laughs> yeah, like I think Americans do. They do sort of bounce towards the end of the um, of uh, a phrase. They perhaps will go up as well. I think you're always positive in your speech as well. It's always yeah. So. I've got to be careful. My um, visa renewal application is coming up, so I'm only going to. <laughs> so, when, yeah. when is that happening? It might be before this airs. So yeah, yeah. So no, it's God willing in April. So if you're if okay, you're at TSA, you know everything's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He loves he loves America. Absolutely. Go hot dogs. That's good. <laughs> I know. Uh, well, good brother. Of accents, though. My kids they they are basically speaking American now. So oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. So have they grown up here? Yeah. So they're seven and six. And so the last five years kind of they've, and now they're in school, just everything is spelt without a U and these sorts of things. So, yeah, I remember. So when I moved just from Tennessee to Vermont, so up in new, in, in new England, I had a friend tell me your kids are going to talk funny if you take if you take them up there, which, you know, it's all relative from from (laughs) from up there. People in Tennessee talk funny. But but I noticed like when I took when we moved and my girls were, oh, I I don't know, they were like five and seven or something like that when we moved. And a couple of years in, they're pronouncing. So we pronounce aunt like your mom's sister would be your aunt. They, They started saying aunt. Okay. Uh, I guess this is more the English sort of pronunciation, but it's a new English pronunciation. And that really bothered me. They were saying my, you know, aunts. And <laughs> I don't know who's corrupted who, but it's definitely different. <laughs> yeah. And they they started referring to tennis shoes as sneakers and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So the language, yeah, you do change, man, wherever, wherever you're at. Hey, let me ask you about 10 of those. I think maybe some of our listeners, if not a lot of our listeners, are familiar with 10 of those as a bookstore. You go to a conference and there's a bookstore. Maybe they go to the website, yeah. 10ofthose.com, which is the number 10, one zero yeah. of those.com. Yeah, but either way. Yeah. Oh, oh, you can. So with the, yeah. if you spell it out, you get there. Oh, you covered yeah. your bases. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Covering your bases. That's a baseball reference, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. My <laughs> grandma was sucking her egg at that time. She didn't know what that <laughs> You covered all the wickets. I don't know. What, what, what would be yeah. the English version? <laughs> yeah. Well, if things, if things are difficult, you'd say, Oh, that's a sticky wicket. That's that, a sticky wicket. Wiki yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So give us some of the history of 10 of those. Where did it yeah. come from? How did it start? Yeah, so I was a youth pastor in Northern Ireland and had, while while I was at university, had kind of run the Christian Union bookstall type thing. And um, so I'd been dabbling in getting books that I liked and knew, I knew well and held to the Bible. And so as a youth pastor, I was thinking, okay, how could I develop a hobby that might just be useful? You know, I played, played sport uh, during the weekends, but, you know, could I develop something that might be useful to the church? And, and with a burden of there's a there's so many books out there how do you know what's good how do you know what's not great and what's going to do you harm you know there's plenty of bad books out there that even just a little bit of poison can can really do great harm and so i started just picking out books that i i knew and i loved and 
I just bought a thousand at a time. And so it started with three books by a guy called Vaughn Roberts, who has written a book called God's Big Picture, which people might know. And he's written some other stuff. So I bought three of each. I bought the entire stock that the publisher had, and I just sold them in tens, and they were all gone within a week. And that was really the start. And that's where the name comes from. People had to buy 10. So they'd say, I'll get 10 of those, please. And and now you don't have to buy 10, but the more you buy, the cheaper it gets. And and it just built from, okay, oh, you've got these three from Vaughn. Could you get his other one? Oh, what about this from the same publisher? And over the course of sort of six months, it really began to, to grow to the point where I then had to decide what I was going to do. I, I couldn't get any more pallets delivered to the church. And it was just, you know, I had to pick. And so... Moved back from Northern Ireland to to the UK, and that's where we then began uh, began doing conference bookstores. And there's an organisation in the UK called the Proclamation Trust, which is quite similar to the Simeon Trust over here. And they had an annual conference for pastors, and their current supplier was a bookstore that was going out of of business, and so we we took that on, and that was really the the growth and development of of that. So we began in the UK uh, 17 years ago. To when I was about five. Uh, no, no. But yeah, and then came to the States five years ago. But what we're, what we're seeking to do is handpick everything we sell so we know it holds the Bible, that is pointing to Jesus. And then with the purpose of getting more resources out there, we discount everything. So it's perhaps a little bit more affordable. And then we use our profits to support missions around the world. So I like to tell people when they shop with us, they're basically tithing. But it's really <laughs> for the point of having a curated bookstore where you may not know the author or the publisher or the title, but you know one of our team has gone through it. We've road tested it. We know that it's going to point to Jesus. Yeah. Let me ask you about that. What does that process look like? And and how are you even able to do that with the abundance of material you have on your site? Yeah. So it started very slowly and we we're just adding one by one based on what I'd read and known. As we've grown the team and there's about 50 staff or so, we have readers within the within the team, but also we look to other people. So for example, you know, you may be at a conference and you recommend a book and we perhaps will will ask you, okay, so you know, is this one that we should be adding? So we use kind of trusted friends who know what they're talking about, who've read widely, whom we know and and know their both life and doctor carefully. And so we'll use trusted friends in, in that respect as well. It sometimes means we're perhaps overly cautious that maybe we could add a book that we haven't just because we don't know it. it, it, it we're not saying that the stuff we sell is the only good stuff that's out there. It, it, it's based on it's content, it's accessibility, both in terms of readability. Is it well-written? You know, has it got a terrible cover that nobody's going to buy? That all impacts. Also, you know, we don't really go for sort of print-on-demand stuff. We need it to be readily available. Also, price, you know, if there's two like-for-like books, and this can often happen with an edition as well, you know, so take something like Knowing God. If there's a hardback edition at $30 or a paperback edition at 18 we're probably going to go for the $18 one because proportionally we can sell more of those. And we're, we're really seeking to get out these books as widely as we can. We see the books as little gospel seeds. So how can we scatter as many as possible? So yeah, that's how we, that's how we're curating it. Obviously publishers are telling us, Oh, you should stop this. You should. And we ask for sample copies and we work through it. 
Yeah, that's good. So going back to when you started, Mon Roberts, you had thousand yep. copies. You, you just thought I'm going to resell these, yeah. and who who was buying ten copies at a time? Yeah. So individuals, churches, small group leaders, these sorts of things. So everybody. Uh, okay. Yeah, basically anybody. And it was one of the things that we were trying to encourage people to think of. Oh, yeah, buy a book for yourself. But could you give this as a gift to a friend and read it together? Maybe you could start a reading group. Maybe you you already have a home group and it closes for the summer. We'll read it together over the summer and come back in the in the winter months and and pick up what you've read. But churches, particularly who were running groups or, or these sorts of things, Christian unions at universities, we worked quite closely with, it's called UCCF in the UK, it's equivalent to crew or intervarsity, that sort of thing. So student groups. But one of our main focuses, and this has remained, this is still, I think if we didn't have anything else, this would would be the one thing we'd want to keep, is trying to help churches think evangelistically with their resources. So what about their neighbors, their friends, colleagues, people perhaps work with in the city or whatever, who aren't Christians? Could we help churches think on scale to reach them with gospel resources? So whether it be Easter or Christmas or occasions, I mean, with Halloween's not too far or too far back. Well, People just knocking on your door wanting stuff. Well, yeah, give them some sweets, give them some candy, but could you give them something that will introduce them to the person of Jesus as well? So trying to help churches and individuals think much larger scale, 10, 50, 100 copies to, again, reach reach out and sow seeds. So yeah, bulk and volume is definitely part of what we do. Yeah, I I think this is the first that I had heard of 10 of those was in connection to buying multiple copies of something for an evangelistic purpose. Like we're going to get, you know, 200 copies of this little book to give out at Easter time or, or something like that. And now, of course, you I mean, you are a, a full fledged bookstore. I can go to your site and order one copy of something if that's what I yeah. prefer to do. And in some respects, it's it's good to do that as opposed to you know, yep. just another bookstore because, you know, proceeds from 10 of those are going back into mission work, which is, which is good. Brother, you have your finger on the pulse of just kind of the state of reading within the church in particular. You know, I've always thought that the best, the knowledge of what people are reading is not with social media where people are saying, I'm reading this. Even even if they're telling the truth, the best source is from the booksellers because they know what people are buying. Yeah. They <laughs> they know what books are actually coming off the store. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about something our reader, I mean our listeners, or I guess our readers would be interested in, which is what's the state of reading in the church right now? What is it? Is it good, yeah. bad, middle of the road? And what are people reading? What is yeah. where's the interest right now in what is selling basically? Yeah, interesting. So it's funny because I'm dyslexic, so I find reading really hard work. God definitely has a sense of humor putting me in this role. And so I don't want to in any way sort of belittle or or um, do down those who aren't reading very much and find it hard because I find it really hard. It is a slog. Whereas it's really annoying. My wife, she just flies through books and you kind of, she's finished three by the time I've finished chapter three. And it, so I don't want to belittle anybody in that situation. I think there's a great challenge to see teens and early 20s read. Now, there are exceptions to that because I think there are those who kind of, 
are just bookworms and go for it, particularly if they're sort of more academically minded. But I think if if there isn't the sort of engagement with reading at that age, before they know it, they're an adult and not not reading. What's encouraging in terms of what's selling is loads of kids stuff sells now. I think there's there's just loads more on the market and parents are eager for help. And I think publishers have done a great job at getting stuff for the five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. But that's where it begins to tail off. And so that the next stage of high school and into college is a challenge. I think the other area of challenge, certainly in, in the US, is there is a there is a definite sort of disparity between those who have perhaps gone to seminary and are now working for the church and the the average Joe in the pew. And again, I don't want to do down the average Joe, but I think in that scenario, if people are reading three or four books a year, they're doing well. And But then there's a huge jump to those who are really into reading, who might be reading 25, 30 books a year. And I, I'm really keen to see that gap shrink so that people are reading more, but they're, they're advancing in their reading as well. It's not just kind of low-level, slightly self-help Christian-y yeah, I don't want to say trash, but just it's just light. You know, if, if if books are a meal, how do we help people go from from the milk to the meat without sort of getting stuck on a McDonald's in between, if I can put it like that? And that's one of our challenges. It's one of the reasons why I encourage people to read Christian biography, because the the depth of teaching that can come in a biography can can be very very rich. I often remember the um, you know the hiding place, the story of the ten boom ten boots, and uh, this great line in there where they're in the concentration camp, and Corrie turns to Betsy and says, "I, I just can't go on." And Betsy turns back and says, "Corrie, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still." Now that is rich theology found in an accessible means through a biography that somebody could really chew on over the next few hours, days, weeks, et cetera. And so that I think is a challenge for us. How do we help people grow in their diet onto meaty stuff, recognizing there is a process and progress that needs to be made. They're not just going to make that jump from, oh, what should I read? Oh, I'll read, um, you know, Praying with Paul by Carson or, you know, they're just not going to do that jump on their own. So we need to help them with it. What would you say? I mean, you, you travel around, you speak, you, what was your assessment? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I, I try to think in terms of, I have for the last several years, with my own writing of, of how do I get this gospel centered stuff outside the camp, so to speak, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I know that my, uh, you know, I know reformed guys are going to be interested, although I, I have some concerns that they're, that they're becoming less interested <laughs> in gospel centrality, no. but I know that they're sold. It's how do I get it to, you know, to my aunt, you know, not, not to disparage, but you know, people who are just, like you said, they read, Christian living stuff that they find at Target or Walmart. And they're not necessarily, I mean, you, I mean, you, you know, that's a mixed bag, but they're reading the bestsellers. Yes. Yeah. And so it's not like, you know, yeah, I'd love to have a bestseller, but I just mean, how do I write in that way yeah. to make the book the, the, the same doctrinal content? So, you know, again, the, when I was in New Zealand, I was startled that they had a Christian bookstore that was walking distance from our hotel. And so my wife and I walked over there and because we don't have those here, I mean, I guess there's, 
Yeah, there's still a few around, but the chains yeah. are gone and and yeah. so on and so forth. The only Christian bookstore I'm aware of in Kansas City is the one at Midwestern Seminary. There may be some little one somewhere I'm unaware of. But in any event, we went to go look and see. And I thought, you know, I want to support a small business and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in a place that's very post-Christian, in a place where Christians are a distinct minority. And I was very disappointed because I'm looking at, you know, my choices basically were best-selling fluff yeah, and or really kind of out there, quasi-mystical, heretical kind of stuff. And, and I'm not a cessationist, but what passes for a lot of the, you know, charismatic stuff is, yeah. is very light on doctrine. And it's almost like they have every gift, but discernment. I think sometimes <laughs> they operate in every gift, but discernment is sometimes how I feel. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of prosperity gospel stuff, a lot of word of faith stuff, you know, the, the Harris, you know, heretical side. Yeah. So I just thought, ugh. and then last week we were in Pennsylvania for Thanksgiving visiting our daughters and we went to a bookstore, a brick and mortar bookstore, not Barnes and Noble. And I go to the religion section yeah. and it is dominated by occult, yeah. witchcraft, you know, Wicca, stuff like that. Yeah. And so it tells me that people are hungry for, for spirituality, even in the evangelical space. Yeah. They want something bigger, different, spooky, even, I don't know. They want an experience of the other yeah. So I don't know if that's a trend. Well, I, not, I think that's true. There is there is still this underlying hunger that people have. Now I I'm I, I'm not against doing it in different forms, whether it's you know a podcast like this or TikTok or whatever it is, do it but offer Christ. And I think that is so often the problem of the things that you've described. It's not content driven. It's, it's, will this sell or will it actually good content will sell so long as it's packaged rightly and correctly. So let's not make it dull. Let's not overprice it. Let's not make it longer than it needs to be. These sorts of things. Let's work hard. We've got something amazing to offer in Christ. Let's work hard at making sure sure we we're not seeking to make it palatable but we're, we're seeking to present it well so that it can be digested and i think for us it comes back to this we curate what we sell so that we can wholeheartedly recommend it i think of one i, I won't name them perhaps but it's there it's I mean, this is true of Amazon as well, but a main Christian, the the biggest kind of seller of Christian books in, in the States is owned by a private equity firm. So when it comes to deciding what they sell, their number one decision is not going to be, does this point people to Jesus? It is ultimately profit. And when you get to that position, you're you're on a pathway that can very quickly lead you to just selling anything. And that's that's why we seek to exist, not because we are always going to get it right. We under we've got to sit under God. We get things wrong, but what we are seeking to do is, as He enables us to present only truth, but to do it in a way that makes it accessible and and gets it out there. Yeah, I will say that that bookstore in New Zealand had a um, a little section of used books. I guess he took he oh, yeah. would resell yeah. things people would come in, and I found a little you know, book by Leon Morris that I thought, okay, I can give this guy $3 for this (laughs) this book. This is what I value. Okay. So you don't stock that this, you know, the out there stuff, 
So of the things you do stock for adult readers, what are you noticing are some trends? What are people interested in? What is, you know, based on what's selling from 10 of those, yeah. what are some issues that people are trying to address these days? Or what are some things people are reading about? Yeah. Sadly, we sell a lot on church abuse. Okay. Uh, people trying to navigate that either for their own help or to help a, a friend. And that, that's sad that that's the case, but it, but it it is. There are lots of resources out there now on this topic, which is a good thing, but it just shows how much help we need. But on the issue of sharing the gospel, apologetics, gospel in the workplace, these sorts of things, just people are desperate for help. They, they know that they should be telling people about Jesus, but how do they do it? So that is that's definitely on the 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 increase. I think there's been a growth of people looking back. So the Puritan stuff has been very popular. I mean, a couple of years, three, four years ago now, Gentle and Lowly kind of really helped with introducing people to the to the Puritans and Puritan writing. Shorter books, I think, have been helpful to people. It's not that they are I don't think they're dumbing down, but it is seeking to help people s- step up on that. And particularly, I think as the impact of social media has mean uh, has meant people's attention span has shrunk, then shorter books have uh, have done that. And uh, not have done that, but are, they're responding to that, and right. they're people are buying those short ones. Yeah, I talked about kid stuff that that outsells everything. You know, when we set up a bookstore, whether it's at a conference or we, we go to churches on a Sunday and provide a, a sort of one-off pop-up bookstore, 50% of the sales will be kid stuff. So it's a huge area. But I think that's a good thing. You know, that we're, we're told, aren't we, to, to teach our kids the, the truth, whether we was at home or sitting, standing, teach them truth. And so I think that's a good thing. And I would say particularly to grandparents, encourage to encourage them to think how they can be impacting young ones. Bibles, uh, unbelievably, people just keep buying Bibles. You'd think they'd already got them, but um, especially <laughs> in the States. But um, yeah, Bibles sell, you know. Yeah. There is definitely a hunger out there. There's, there is, you know, people said, oh, with the ebook and now the audio book, there's going to be a death of physical, not at all. And I want to encourage that. And I, the reason physical, I think, is so important, discipleship and evangelism. You will never disciple somebody by giving them an ebook and say, oh, you know, like, that just doesn't happen. You won't reach your next door neighbor with an ebook. You don't, you don't gift that, but you do a physical book. Uh, the other thing with your ebooks as Christians, particularly ministers, et cetera, you can never pass that on to a younger generation. Whoever it is, whether it's Logos, whoever else, you can't then just say, oh, great, I'll now pass this on to, to the, my young disciple. And so I think physical is extremely important. Not that I'm a dinosaur. Well, maybe I am a dinosaur. But, you know, the, there is a, a reason why physical is important. And it's even if it's to end up in the thrift store or as you had in the used section. Because look at that. That is now a, a, a book impacting another person, which if you'd bought that on your, on, on your Kindle, never would have happened. All right, I'll climb down from my high horse on. Well, I love it. And the, the, the danger is I'm, I'm such a physical media guy, even when it comes to like movies and music as well. Yeah. That you you don't own, like you think you downloaded this thing. You don't, uh, you, uh, you own essentially permission. Yes. To watch that. But when people make fun of my DVD and Blu-ray collection, 
No, no, I actually own the movie. Yep. I can actually so, watch this movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. with you. You know what I love as as a writer who so th- so this happened at you know every used bookstore I go into. I always want to see, do they have any of my books? I, I do that in, in I do that in, in every bookstore, but uh, and check whether you've gifted it to them. Like that's right. That's yeah. right. Oh, who who dumped this? <laughs> but the thing I like to do is look through to see if they took notes or if someone underlined or highlighted, because I want to see like what ministered to them. And when I was at this bookstore in Pennsylvania, they had a copy of Unparalleled, which is my kind of apologetics yeah. book there. And I, I was astounded, first of all, that one of my books would be all the way up there. And I'm looking through it and I'm seeing what the person, you know, what, you know, resonated with them. Apparently not deep enough for them not to sell it to a, a used bookstore, but. <laughs> did, it, did it encourage you? Did they, did, was it there did. Any, like, I disagree with these guys totally wrong. <laughs> no, no, it was good. It was good oh, underlines good. and good highlights, but, but you're right in terms of passing things on in terms of the evangelistic thing. And, and I just, uh, yeah, I, I won't, I'll come off my high horse as well. I think there's something spiritual about tangibility as well. So, okay. You mentioned pop-up bookstores. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you could just kind of walk us through some of the means of ministry for 10 of those. What are some of the things 10 of those does? I, you know, we can go to the website and order a book online, but what else yeah, do you yeah. do? Yeah. So if you're in the, if you're in the U S and you order online, it's only ever $1 shipping for your whole order. So we do pop-up bookstores. So again, in the U S for churches of, of 300 or more, whether that be a Sunday service, you know, a, a women's day conference or a men's retreat or that sort of thing. We'll come. There's no cost. We'll provide this curated bookstore. We make some recommendations as part of your program and we'll get a, a lot of books out. In the UK, it doesn't need to be as as large as that. It's, it's slightly easier to uh, drive around rather than fly around. But yeah, we're wanting to come alongside things that already exist, whether it be an event or a church service. We'll set up in your lobby. We'll work with you on making sure we've got the right books for your audience. We'll often say to people, look, if you if you can't afford it, but you promise to read it, just take it. We'll overcharge a large church. It all balances out. But we want people to get good stuff into their hands and, and money not to be an obstacle. Also for churches, you may want to, you know, as a pastor, you, you're perhaps quoting a book or you're recommending that somebody might read a book. Where do you point them to? Because you could say, I'll go and buy this online, but they're going to be one click away. Away from heresy. They, they really are. That's just the way the algorithms work. And so we provide free of charge a customized online store for churches. So let's say you go to Grace Church. You can have 10 of those.com forward slash Grace Church with your curated homepage of maybe you're preaching through the book of John. And so you're going to have the recommendations for John and then maybe some missionary biographies or some things for kids. You curate that, but they have access to the full store. We look after all the sort of sales tax and we ship it out direct to their house, et cetera. And um, it's a way for you as a church to have a curated store of really good stuff and that's customized to your church. And that's free. You can just drop us an email via our website and just say, hey, I was interested in that online store and we can do that. But then also for churches who want to to buy, whether it's for their Bible study groups or evangelism, you want pew Bibles, all of these sorts of things, the more you buy, the cheaper it gets. And we just want to help you by getting it out there and expand your budget so that more of these resources can go out. We really want to have a can-do attitude of, okay, what do you need? What price do you need it at? All right, let's try and make that happen for you. So yeah, I'd love to hear from people if we can help serve them in that way. You know, it was the the bookstore, the curated church bookstore idea that really intrigued me that you could even link to it on your own, 
your own church website to say, here is our bookstore. And it just redirects to your church's page or your church's bookstore on the 10 of those site. Is is it difficult to maintain that list to add a book or, or anything like that? Yeah, I know. So you, you can you can mix up the variety each month. You just send us an email, say, hey, these are the these are the new selection. And actually, our team do it all. So from oh, an gotcha. point of view of a church, you really just send an email and away we go. We we do the work for you. And, and it- I love the idea also just that. So we have just outside. We have a little library, but then right outside in our foyer at our church at Liberty Baptist, we have recommended resources for that month. And it's basically yes. just it's usually two titles and they just sort of sit there. There's, uh, you know, five or six copies of each title and there's a recommended donation for those books. And yeah, but the idea that we could put like a QR code, some sort of sign or something there that says visit our bookstore online and then we could, you know, quote unquote, stock yeah, as many titles as we would want to recommend, you know, that's exactly how it can be used. And I, I love that idea of going back to the physical of, yeah, OK, these are our two books that we're recommending this month. Well, what, what do you do if you sell out? Well, yeah, yeah scan, scan the QR code and for a dollar, it'll just get delivered directly to you. It's also I think that's helpful for smaller churches who aren't wanting to tie up lots of stock and therefore money and inventory. They've got to manage it. What do they do if they don't sell them all, these sorts of things. We just try and take care of all of that for you. So just trying to help people get good stuff out there. Yeah. Well, this is good stuff. If, if people want to learn more, and I'm sure that we've got some ministry leaders and others who would love to learn more, they just need to go to 10 yeah, if they go to 10 there's a live chat. You can chat with our team there. Or feel free to email me. My my email is jonathan at 10 I'd gladly help. And yeah, just I appreciate each church situation is is unique. So oh, we're a church of this size or we're in rural or we're in city. You know, just tell us what you need, whether it's the budget that you have to hit or a particular resource you need to get, we want to stand alongside and say, all right, well, we'll try and take some of the burden off you and help you get this in a way that will be be helpful and useful. So yeah, feel free. Jonathan at 10 of those.com. Good deal. Hey, let's end with this. You wrote a piece that I found online at 20 Schemes. I don't know if you wrote it originally for them or not. Yeah, go uh, What did 20- I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. This is. It was called The One Thing I Look For in a Christian Book. This is the one thing. Do you remember writing this before I had it? No. Okay. <laughs> but to be honest, my, I mean, my wife will tell you, this is embarrassing. It's just a quick side thing. Each year for my birthday, she gives yeah. me a memory jar of things that we've done in this last year because I've just no recollection of it. So go on, tell me what, 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 what what's well, the one thing I look for? Well, maybe. So it was a, this was prefaced as a, it was a review of an Ed Welch book. And I don't, I don't have it in front of me. So I don't remember which title it was, but it was a book by Ed Welch. But I thought it would be fresh on your brain, but it's <laughs> Actually, it would be a good way to end because this is sort of our our bread and butter here. But the one thing you look for is that the book points you to Christ. That's, yeah, well, that, I mean, I thought it was going to be that, but I, did I go any deeper? No, I clearly didn't. Yeah, that, I mean, ultimately, I'm coming back to that each time. Does this book present me with Christ? Because he is the most precious. He is, you know, the Bible describes him as altogether lovely. Well, if it's not presenting me with the one who... It creates this world who who is altogether lovely in character, who loves me, who died for what like I'm dyslexic. I can't read lots of books. If it's if it's not giving me him, 
I, for me, I just, what's the point? So yeah, I want it to, to give me Jesus. That's, that's a good word. I'm glad I could remind you of it. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I, did, well, I did think it, but it would be that. But. <laughs> Brother, Jonathan Carswell, thanks so much for coming oh, on the podcast, man. Yeah, no, re- real treat for me. Thank you. So I'll take this opportunity one more time. If you're interested in knowing how to resource your church, if you have an event to meet sort of the, uh, the strictures that Jonathan was sharing, or just have any other questions related to these sorts of things, resourcing your church, please go to 10 of those.com. You can find out all kinds of information there, or you could email him. He's a brave guy sharing his email for our dozens of listeners on the, on the, on the podcast. <laughs> if you're an African prince sat on $3 billion, <laughs> I don't need any more from you, but anyone else can. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, so we actually do have thousands of listeners, but I, I don't think there's any African princes because we haven't had any, okay. uh, As always, dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.